Thank you, Lord. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we pray that you would open up our heart and mind to understand how creation, the fact that you are a creator, that you created all things out of nothing, uh, that you had an eternal destiny and plan in mind and so forth, how all these major themes that we've been studying are all tied into the one theme of creation. In Jesus' name. Boy, everybody's sitting further and further back. I feel like I'm so far away from all of you. Nobody sits up in the front anymore. Could be my deodorant. No, I don't know. Maybe it's my mouthwash. I, I used a dollar version of knockoff of, of uh, Listerine this morning. Too cheap to pay for the real stuff. Uh, all right, so here we go. We're going to continue the Kingdom of God series, Chapter 3, Major Biblical Themes. We'll be on this, uh, I think, four, five, six more weeks, something like that. And then uh, we'll move on to Chapter 4. The titles of the chapters are on the back and the bottom half of your outline. Does everybody have an outline? Does anybody not have an outline that they're following? And um, so far, our theme verse is, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh Again, I've surveyed lots of people, and most Christians today think that the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God as spoken of in Scripture has something to do with going to heaven, which it has very little to do with going to heaven, although that will be part of the byproduct overall in the end. But it has every bit to do with God bringing heaven to earth in the reign of God uh, that uh, is perfect in heaven, the temple of God and the sanctuary of God that's perfect in heaven. Heaven is filled, you know, like Revelation says, that there's no need for a light there because the Lamb is the light. And the presence of God and the glory of God fills the temple. And God, in creating Eden, was bringing his sanctuary to earth. And that was really the commission of Adam and Eve uh, to be fruitful, multiply, subdue the earth, to rule under God and bring his kingdom, bring his manifest presence, bring the sanctuary of God that was Eden uh, and exported out the four rivers, two of which still exist after Noah's flood and two of which disappeared with Noah's flood, and uh, export them to the earth. So God has always been in the business of bringing his reign, which is what he which is what the Bible calls freedom to be to be the love slave of God is to be free, to be a slave of your to do what you want to do, how you want to do it and why you want to do it. however you want to do it is the ultimate slavery because you begin to be mastered by your everything your your anger management issues, your lust issues, your your greed, your pride, your selfish ambition, your uh, folly whatever you become the slave of darkness and the slave of sin and the reign of god uh in christ comes to restore the original reign of god that he intended in adam and that adam fell and we're going to see that related to creation as we go today so on these major biblical things we've looked at the infallibility of scripture god's eternal decree we looked at the eight major components of all covenants we looked at covenant theology which is the idea that the, there's a continuity between the covenants and the purposes all through the Bible, uh, whereas today in Bible-believing circles, uh, a discontinuity is what's, is, is what's emphasized. 
uh, and, and very wrongly so, and, and it causes us to be askew and miss the whole purpose of Scripture. We looked at there's always been, uh, ever since the fall of man, there's been two people groups in the earth. Cain killed the Abel, and it wasn't overcrowding. Uh, you know, the, uh, the sociologists like to think that murder is a result of too many people living too close together. I don't know if that was Cain and Abel's problem. Don't think so. And uh, we've looked at God's uh, call for us to exercise dominion in the earth, and that is his kingdom, his reign, and so forth. Uh, probably next week, or no, two weeks from now, next week I'm going to do a, just a little introduction to defending the idea of creation over evolution. Uh, this week I'm going to just look at the biblical significance of creation, and then the following week after looking at defending creation, we're going to look at the full implications of the fall. And then uh, almost all Bible teachers today, or the way, the way it's kind of approached today, is that, the, that fall, the fall of man leads to the great drama of redemption. But the great drama of redemption is a much smaller subset of what God's really after, the great drama of restoration, of bringing his whole kingdom to the whole earth and filling the earth with his whole glory. And uh, so redemption is just a small part of that. Uh, bigger theme, as big a theme as redemption is. Uh, so we'll, we'll look at it, these kind of things in upcoming weeks. And then once we've had the, where, where we're going with this is once we have all these major biblical themes, uh, then we're going to look at uh, introduction to the whole concept of biblical word pictures or biblical imagery. And that will help us learn how to read our Bibles uh, uh, better and get more out of them. And all that will lay the foundation for uh Chapter 5, which is really where I'm trying, will be kind of like the, uh, the teeter-totter point of the series, the fulcrum point, where um, we'll survey the, the idea of the kingdom of God through the whole Bible in chapters 5 and 6. So um, looking forward to, to continuing this, and hopefully you're able to tie all these ideas together in your mind. Today will certainly help. So with that in mind, uh, last week we looked at a number of significant scriptures about creation. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning. Now, I lost. I had put uh, some Greek words in there, and that's part of what I lost. Um, but uh, the word there in the Septuagint version is the word RK, which we'll look at when we look at John 1, 1 through 5. Uh, but we get the word archaic from, and John 1, 1 starts with NRK and halagos, in the beginning was the word. But beginning meaning uh, the creative principle, beginning, meeting, the origin, uh, the, the fountainhead, the start, that which causes everything to be. So it's not really just a time or, or even mainly a time reference. It's an outside and above reference. It's a first cause and first mover reference. Uh, so that's really what Genesis 1-1 is saying, that before there was time, uh, God created time and space and, and the heavens and the earth. So uh, God lives outside and above time, uh, despite the fact that I love the song Amazing Grace, the, the, the verse of it that goes, when we've been there 10,000 years bright, shining as the sun, with no less days to sing his praise than when we first begun, is a wonderful sentiment, but it's bad theology. It's uh, because we won't be there 10,000 years. We'll be up, up outside and above the realm of time altogether. 
time will not have any significance or being. Uh, we creatures will always have some remembrance or sense of time uh, in the sense that uh, because we have a beginning, we can never forget that we have a beginning. So we will always have a sense of the time-space continuum, even when we have a spiritual sense of it not really being real and, uh, and living above it, uh, which you touch sometimes when you're worshiping God. When you're really in the spirit of God, you actually do touch that timelessness. And uh, God wants you to have that kind of awesome experience of his presence regularly and often. Because the only place, you know, you the reason Paul says to forget what lies behind and move forward to what lies ahead and so forth, is the only place you can fellowship God is, is, is now, right this minute. Because uh, the, the, the eternity only touches this time-space continuum now. The past is over. The, the, the only thing you can get out of the past is to learn some wisdom or, or, or lessons and, and forget what accomplishments you've had and press forward and uh, forget what failures you've had and press forward. Uh, you can't really do anything about the past, nor can you fellowship God in it. You can, you, can get, you can now, right now, from God, get wisdom as to what you did in your past and why and, and, and so forth, so that now you can change. But you really can't do anything else about that. So um, I hope that makes sense. Uh, so let's get into uh, the, the importance and significance of creation. The first one is a little bit intellectual, but don't be scared of it. It's not that complicated. Um, a lot of people say, oh, I don't like intellectual stuff. Well, um, we do, you know, Paul says we do teach spiritual words uh, to those who are mature. And we, you have to have spiritual vocabulary if you're, going to, if you're going to experience God and wrestle with God. So... Uh, Creation has to do with the subjects called ontology and teleology. And uh, obviously that got redone for me. Oh my goodness. Um, so I lost, I lost a much better definition of it. Let's ho see how much I can remember of it. But ontology is uh, in a sense not a biblical word and it doesn't actually appear in the Bible. It, well, it does, but not in the context of creation. Uh, the, uh, but ontology is kind of a branch of theology or philosophy. And by the way, uh, humanist people always distinguish between philosophy and theology and because they think of philosophy as thinking about origins and meaning and purpose and ethics and morals apart from God. But the truth is, is that theology and philosophy are one in all theologies and philosophies are inescapably religious. They, man is made in the image of God. Even atheists are very religious. They have ideas about who or what is ultimately real, what is the nature of man, and so forth. You are inescapably a worshiper. If you won't worship God, you will worship yourself or your own reason or man's achievements or your, your, your cool car or whatever shallow thing you might want to worship. So uh, you are a worshiper and you will worship. Now, so ont ontology deals with the study of the nature, meaning, or design of being or existence. In other words, why are we here? What is it all about? What is the, what is the nature of your being? What is the nature of reality? Do you have, uh, when you talk about the nature of man, we ask, does man have an intrinsic nature? 
do you have a built-in uh, set of things that all of us, for instance, all men are made in the image of God, intrinsically, which means in, internally, built-in, automatic, automatically you were made in the image of God. And you can't escape that. Uh, automatically you are fallen, and therefore the image of God has been corrupted in every way, shape, and form. Uh, you still have a sense of justice, but it's a very twisted sense of justice. It's a very self-centered sense of justice. We, uh, you know, the reason people get in fights is because they want to exact a very selfish, sinful kind of justice uh, instead of leave it to God's justice and so forth. Uh, so again, ontology is the study of nature or being, uh, and so let's let's look at a couple verses that bring that out. These verses also bring out teleology, which we'll talk about in a minute, but I'm just going to focus on ontology for a minute. John 1, 1 through 5, in the beginning, which is, the, again, the Greek word arche, which means origin or active cause, that which causes everything to be. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in this beginning, that is, the, he was the active cause, uh, the origin of all things outside and above time, he stepped into and created time. All things that came in, all things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life. So the nature of being is Christ. There is no really purpose for living outside of Christ. Uh, if you really study the de- when we get into the depth of the fall, the the depth of the, the Everyone has a power living inside them called sin. And that sin power causes you to suppress the truth of God and unrighteousness, to hope that God being creator isn't as all serious as that. Uh, that's why men love the idea of evolution. The, the day the origin of the species was published, uh, people camped out for three or four days ahead of time to try to get the first copies before it ran out, much like they would do at a rock concert today. Because people were looking for, oh, Christianity smashed the myth- mythological uh, ideas of evolution of, that the ancient cultures all had, and now there's a pseudoscientific rationale for, for, that we can kind of believe in enough to try to throw off God as creator. It was, the idea was very anticipated, anticipated by man's sinful nature, so much so that they make leaps of blindness, as we'll see next week, and, and, and deny all reality altogether. Because reality is you were created, and you were created for a purpose, and therefore you will give an account to your creator, and he is your judge, and deserves to be, and your, your life is owed to him. And any kind of life that seeks to find a purpose or a meaning outside that will be frustrated. There is no purpose, mean, or existence apart from Christ. Christ is the end-all, be-all reason to live. To, to whatever degree you're sanctified in the love of Christ, to that degree you're restored to what you were intended to be from all eternity. The more you love Christ... you. You can be too zealous about non-religious nonsense. Religious, religious nonsense. Um, you can never be too zealous about loving God. There is no. You can never be too too liberated from a self-centered viewpoint to a God-centered existence. 
the more you get God-centered in your actual being and existence and in moment-by-moment reality, the more you'll function in harmony with what you were all created to be. Does apathy hold you back? Find Christ. Does uh, procrastination hold you back? Find Christ. Does anger issues hold you back? Find Christ. Uh, More importantly, invite him to find you. I pray things all the time like, God, conquer me. God, cause me to love what you love and hate what you hate. God, cause me to be all that you intended from before the foundations of the earth for me to become. If you start zeroing in on Christ, you will become a, a being so in tune with wisdom and nature and full of, full of the right things that if, if you were to see it now, you probably couldn't stand the revelation. God, is, God intends to make you a more wise, together, uh, emotionally stable, mature, uh, zealous person than you can even imagine. The Bible has lots of scriptures to say that, like, uh, you know, what uh, eye has not seen and ear has not heard all that God has prepared for those who love him and so forth, beyond all that we can ask or think, and uh, lots of scriptures like that. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it, is some translations, that's the NASB. Uh, ESV is also comprehend, I believe. Amplified is overcome, or in expanded Bible is overpowered. But a little light drives out a lot of darkness. We are accustomed because of our sin nature and because of our uh, a culture that's declining uh, rapidly uh, and getting less and less Christian and more and more post-Christian. We are accustomed to thinking that darkness is greater than light. And what can we do against all the powerful forces of evil and corporations that run the government and all the evil people in the government and whatever. We're we're accustomed to thinking so negative. But a little light overpowers a lot of darkness. Try lighting a candle in the in pitch darkness. Try going out in the in the wilderness, uh, away from the city lights, uh, in a very dark night and, and considering the lights of the heavens. So uh, Colossians, uh, so note that Christ is creator. He's the only ontological one, and he's the teleology of all humanity. That is, we'll get into teleology, but he's the goal. The, the only goal in life worth happening, having is to love Christ more and be more like him. All other goals are that one song, John, is my favorite of the ones John sings, that about all, that all idols uh our, our idols that we made, and he shall be exalted in that day. And I'm not doing very well with that one, but I love that song. Uh, um, he's, he's the purpose of all humanity, and actually he's the, he's the meaning and purpose of all creation. Colossians 1, Paul speaking, not John, uh, but agreeing with John. He is the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn of or over all creation. Firstborn, by the way, uh, doesn't mean that he was born first. It's a, it's a title in biblical thinking. He was the eternally begotten son of God, and therefore he is the heir of all creation. Um, for by him, all things are created. Both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible. 
You know that that we live in a realm, a, a world that the invisible realm of of angelic beings, demonic beings, God, spirit, etc., is every bit as real as the people you can see in this room in the hard oak pews. In fact, there are spiritual laws that are unseen that work very much like the law of gravity. You can't see the law of gravity. We talked a couple weeks back about the law of reciprocity or what I call the, the boomerang effect. If you're merciful, you'll get mercy. If you're humble, you'll be exalted. If you're proud, you'll be abased. If you're critical and judgmental, God, God will deal harshly with you. And these are immutable spiritual things that are happening whether you see them or not. And they're in the nature of existence because they're in the nature of Christ. They're in the nature of ontology and teleology. Uh, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Notice it, all things are created through him, and he all things are held together by him. Do you know the creation would cease to exist? If he wasn't holding every atom, scientists really still struggle with the mystery of what holds every atom together. And then what holds every atom together is Christ. Do you know if for one second he wasn't thinking about his eternal, wonderful, redemptive purposes for Chris Wu, it would be worse than a Star Trek episode where he got beamed up or something. He would just cease to exist, as would every one of us. He, all things hold together through him, for him, by him. He is also the head of the church. He's the beginning, the RK, that is the origin, active cause uh, of the church, of creation, of everything. He's the firstborn from the dead. And again, that doesn't just mean that he was the first to rise from the dead, because he actually rose others from the dead before him, uh, and so did Elijah. But he's the heir of all those who are born from the dead. We are, we are a family. The family of God is a people, uh, uh, a bunch of zombies that have come back to life, that God has said, let there be life. He said, Lazarus, come forth to Sydney, and he became a Christian because of the providential, foreordained, eternal decree, redemptive purpose of, that God created Sydney for. And you know what? None of us became a Christian because we were looking to become Christians. We became Christians because he came he, to seek and to save that which is lost. And of all those the Father gave him, he lost not one. And that was all decided before Adam was created. God knew about his purposes for Anvesh before time was created. So, and if you could get a hold of that, if you, uh, I used to have a, a real problem with anxiety. Probably still worry about some things. I think we all do. Uh, but I, I used to be so anxious I couldn't sleep at night sometimes year, years ago. You can remember this. And, uh, and it, for what? You can't make one hair. I can't even make the hairs of my head grow back, let alone make one of them be gray or black or whatever. You know, really, what, what are we worried about? As parents, we worry about our children. The, the most awesome, terrible thing you can say to your child is, son, I've decided to turn you over to God. <laughs> so no, no, I remember as a teenager, no, not that, not anything but that ground me, you know, whatever. Uh, don't turn me over to God, you know. <laughs> 
Well, Christian, you were turned over to God a long time ago. All right, let's get into a little bit of uh, teleology. Oh, so uh, by the way, so that Christ may come to have first place in, or be preeminent in everything. We sing a song like that. You should work that one. What's that? You should, yeah, yeah you, uh, I know. Same one I was talking about. You should sing that one today. I know you already got a set probably, but I love that song. Um, so creation, covenant, ontology, teleology are once again always inextricably intertwined with Christ. Now, teleology is from the Greek word telos, and that is a very biblical word that appears a lot of times in the Bible, 41 times in the New Testament alone. And um, telos means the end goal, the aim or purpose deriving or proceeding from its created or intended or intrinsic nature, substance, or design. In other words, it's uh, when, when Romans 10.4, which is down here, says Christ is the telos of the law, we think that the law ended with Christ because we misread in English uh, what the Greek is trying to say. He's the goal of the law. He's the purpose of the law. He's the fulfillment of it all. Boy, that garlic bread is smelling good. Uh, <laughs> can you smell that garlic bread cooking downstairs? Uh, he... He is the fulfillment of the law. Remember in Matthew 5, he said, don't think I came to abolish the law, but I came to fulfill it. The Greek means to put it into force. He is the end of the law, the goal of the law, the telos of the law. The reason the law existed was to have, Paul says, the law became our tutor to lead us to Christ. God gave the law. He had made a covenant of grace and a covenant of blessing with Abraham. But because sin is so utterly deceitful, and because we almost all people way underestimate how sinful we are, not almost all, every person totally underestimates how sinful we are, uh, because we, are the, our, we defile our conscience by making excuses and rationalizing and blame shifting, and I'm a pretty good person. If you still have any kind of thoughts like I'm a pretty good person, you haven't progressed very far with God. Because he is the perfect one, and you are, uh, you know, there's uh, one of the prophets actually uh, 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 compares us to, uh, I'm thinking of Jeremiah and Ezekiel here, one of them compares us to menstrual rags, and the other one to afterbirth. <laughs> uh, you are diarrhea in comparison to the perfectness of God. And we, uh, and he, and, and, What's so liberating about knowing that, and the reason you should say hallelujah, is that's when he decided to love you. You know, we get all concerned as, as, God, as we walk with God and he does sanctification in our life and matures us and begins to change us. And then part of that is we see ever more how wicked we are. But always be reminded that he demonstrates his own love toward us in that while you were yet sinners, that's when he died for you. Right? So how much more, if, if he loved us when we were yet enemies from God, how much more will he freely give us all things who have been, by the grace of God, turned to God in repentance and sanctification? You have a great destiny ahead of you. And it's inevitable. And growing in Christ and sanctification is just becoming 
ontological or teleologically in tune with what you were meant to be. The reason the Bible defines freedom as loving Christ and being more like him is because that's in harmony with your nature. You are made to be quick to forgive, slow to anger, gracious uh, to those who sin against you. You were, you were intended for that purpose, and you will never be happy until you are gracious and slow to f- anger and quick to forgive. And you will become more yourself all the time. You know, the lie of, of sin is if you become more and more like Christ, you'll lose your personal identity. You will gain your personal identity. All of your talents and gifts will be maximized. He is ontology and teleology. Let's look at this one more thing on this on teleology. I hope I don't have to do another whole week on this. So let's hurry. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. We already did that one. Some Pharisees came to Jesus, testing him and asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason? And he answered, have you not read? I love when Jesus says that to the Pharisees. <laughs> he always says that because they memorize the whole scripture. But he's saying your hermeneutical principles are so religious and self-righteous, and you're so doing this proof text thing, which has become so common in the modern way of doing Christianity. Christianity. Uh, we've, I don't know why we're retreating back to Phariseeism, but we are. And uh, he's saying that causes you to, you may have the scripture totally memorized, but you don't know it. Because if you don't know the power of me, that is Christ in it, you know nothing. Some Pharisees came to him and, and then he says, uh, have you not read that, they, that God, he who created them from the archaic, from the beginning, made them male and female? He said, for this reason, and father and mother, etc." And then he separate, and uh, then he goes on to say that because of your hardness of heart, Moses permitted you to divorce your wife, but from the beginning, it has not been this way. Now, Jesus asserts that the hermeneutical principles of, of the Pharisees uh, uh, are... They're, that they're wrong on ontology and teleology because they won't do John 5, 39. He says, you search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life, but the scriptures bear witness of me, and you're unwilling to come to me so that you can see. All right, I, that's all I have time for on that, so let's flip over. I wish I could develop all that a lot more. That's really good stuff. The foundations of all biblical themes. Um is the second major thing we want to look at as to the importance of, of creation. We looked at plenary inspiration. The, the essence of the drama of the whole world is that in creation, God gave decrees to Adam. He told him to be fruitful, to multiply, and he told him that not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And all of temptation started with the opening line, indeed has God said, as it still does should read a little book called The Hoax of Higher Criticism by Gary North, but all, and you should read some stuff about covenant theology but versus dispensationalism. But all the, the liberal Christianity that undermines the scriptures and the conservative Christianity that undermines the scriptures, all of that uh, is, is basically mankind and his sin nature, uh, in, in, even in the name of religion, saying, indeed hath God said... Oh, God doesn't do these miracles that he says about, and, you know, he doesn't cast out demons and heal the sick and speak in tongues today. We're more sophisticated than all that. We need to see a psychologist, not get deliverance. 
uh, the eternal decree. When you study the attributes of God, you'll study the non-communicable and the communicable. The communicable ones mean the ones that, like communicable diseases, the ones we can get. Like we can become more loving or not, and we can become more any of the fruits of the Spirit, merciful or whatever. But we can't become creators. We can be creative, but no one creates something out of nothing. We have some creative people in our church, a few musicians, some artists like Amber. But Amber doesn't create her art out of nothing. She doesn't just go, let there be art. <laughs> wow, that's what I always had in mind. <laughs> it's a lot harder for her than that. <laughs> she's creative, but she's not a creator. So she has the image of God, but she can't, in the sense that she's creative and that she's imposing order on things and so forth and evaluating things after God's every step of creation. We'll talk about this later. Uh, he stepped back and pronounced uh, an evaluation of it. But um, she's like, I like this one. Or no, she's probably torn up a few over time. <laughs> Forget this. This isn't what I intended to do. Right? And uh, um, but, but you can't create it out of nothing. Um, Isaiah 46, 9 through 10 says, uh, I am God, there's no other. I am God, there's no one like me. Declaring the end from the RK. From ancient times, that is be before all time, things which have not been done, saying my purpose will be established and I will accomplish my good pleasure. We speak the wisdom of God in mysteries, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages. Eternal decree. Covenant theology is based on God's immutability, and that is his, that the fact that his purposes cannot change. Galatians 3, 15 and 17 says that when God ratifies a covenant, uh, you cannot add additions or subtractions from it. Um, I was going to use Larry as an illustration because he's in business, but Chris Wu, who can't, isn't here to defend himself, is probably even a better one. Because uh, he's in covenant law. He studies contract law and works on contract law for the Air Force Base. And part of what he's about is a contractor who makes a, a, a contract or a covenant with the government can't just two months later go, ah, we were just kidding about that. <laughs> Larry, Larry, I'm sure Larry has customers all the time that say, well, I was, I was yeah, I promised to pay, and such, such, but, uh, you know, I, I it wasn't that serious. Did you, did you think I meant it? <laughs> <You know? laughs> they want to add or subtract to the covenant, right? But God said, you can't do that. Um. So I only got a couple minutes, so I'm only going to hit the last couple points kind of quick. Number C, which uh, Microsoft, I see, moved over and reformatted, so it, which it does automatically to me all the time. <laughs> Microsoft Word is the definition of purgatory. <laughs> Might be some of the lower levels of hell. I don't know. But... Uh, <laughs> um, at least for people who don't know what they're doing, which includes me on computer stuff. Um, the attack on creation equals the attack on all things. I alluded to this before, but man is not neutral. That's the whole point of Romans 1, 2, and 3. Man is seeking to, uh, 
you know, professing to be wise, they became fools. Man is seeking to run from the revelation of God. His invisible attributes have clearly been seen, Psalm 19, (laughs) through that which is made, and man suppresses that truth in unrighteousness. We want unbelief. The reason we struggle for faith is we don't want to see the truths that God is miraculously opening up our eyes right in front of our face. If we did, we would seek out uh, the scriptures. We'd seek out the people who can open up our eyes. We'd seek out the power of the Holy Spirit, etc. cetera. Uh, and in, in God bringing us to himself, he starts a process whereby we want to, to uh, know the truth and see the truth, but that's a gift of God, and, and you have to ask God to increase that gift to seek him. But um, man... Look at these verses. For since the creation of the world, the invisible attributes, his eternal power, have been clearly seen. They did not honor him as God or give thanks, but their foolish hearts became futile and their speculations, professing to become wise, they became fools. They exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and creatures. That is the essence of all religions outside of Christ. That's even the essence of Christianity outside of Christ, if you know what I'm saying, which a lot, a lot of people have, uh, you know, I've, I've helped a number of people come to Christ who were churchianity people who kind of believed in church and theoretically the ideas of the Christian faith, but had never really met the Lord or submitted their life to God or knew the presence of God or, or uh, had, had God cross their will or uh, that's, you know, that's what the sinful nature does. It worships and serves the creature, including yourself and your self-will. That's the most, the most modern expression of man's worshiping idols is the idols of our own heart in worshiping ourself in our self-determination and our control freakness and all these kind of evil, idolatrous, wicked things that, that we center our being in. And they reduce us to, to being fools because the wages of sin is death. And you can't get a, if the, the, the boomerang effect is, is, is immutable. If you don't worship God, you will worship idols and those idols can neither deliver nor hear nor see you you put all your trust in yourself and your control the opposite of trusting god is to is to trust yourself and every bit of trusting yourself means you're not worshiping and giving your life to god lastly the lie uh when when romans 125 talks about the lie uh which uh, some translations only say a lie, but uh, the literal is the lie. The New American Standard notes bring that out, and the uh, New King James brings that out because the, when it has the uh, the prefix tain alethion, you're going to name your daughter Alethea, which is uh, means truth. They exchange the truth for the lie. Uh, which is pseudo. We get pseudo-intellectual or pseudo-science or pseudo-Christian cults, like a false. Uh, the, the lie is the lie that would reduce our vision of God as creator, as eternal decree, as immutable. 
One of the main things you can do to help your Christian life grow, read a great book on the attributes of God so that your God, God your eyes can begin to be corrected. See, I see a few people wearing glasses. Uh, others of you probably have some contacts. And does, those glasses do not change the actual size of things. They change your ability to perceive them correctly. So when we say magnify the Lord, you can't magnify the Lord in the sense of make him any bigger, but you can have your blindness adjusted so that you can see him. So uh, the lie is everything uh, that, that denies the creation, the creatorial attributes, and everything that comes out of the fact that he is the eternal one, the ancient of days. He's immutable. He's outside and above time. He's omnipresent, omniscient. He never had to forget anything or never had to remember anything because he never forgot anything. He has all knowledge on the surface of his mind at all times. He is worthy of our praise. So let us uh, take a break and come back and worship him. Mm -hmm. 